0: Hi, everyone. Radhika Jones here, editor-in-chief of Vanity Fair. With award season in full swing, there's no better time to become a Vanity Fair subscriber. Let our editors take you behind the scenes of this year's nominated films, from prestige indies to major blockbusters, plus exclusive coverage of Hollywood's biggest events. Visit VanityFair.com today and save 10% on a yearly subscription for a limited time with promo code OSCARS. That's VanityFair.com. Promo code OSCARS for 10% off a year of insights and access you won't find anywhere else. Subscribe today while this offer lasts through March 31st, 2024.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, I'm Katie Rich, and I'm here for today's interview episode with both David Canfield and Rebecca Ford. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Uh, we're closing out Emmy season, basically. This is our last episode that will air before Emmy voting ends, or our last interview episode that will air before Emmy voting ends, at least. And we have two fantastic interviews with two Emmy nominees. Uh, so, Rebecca, let's go to you first. Uh, you talked to one of the stars of probably the biggest undeniable breakout of the past year, um, or at least one of them. uh, You talked to ho Yin about Squid Game.
0: I did. And she was so funny. She said it was like her first podcast and she hates her voice. So she was a little nervous. (laughs) That seems odd for an actor, but I feel like I've heard that before too. But she was great. I mean, I think she's just been sort of in this whirlwind of immediate fame and awards for the past year. So it was really cool to get her perspective.
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, I think we all remember her from the SAG Awards and just the, the huge night that Squid Game had there. And she was such a big part of it. And so, like, charming. And, Rebecca, I remember you saying that the whole room kind of started revolving around the Squid Game table. And I imagine the month since then, it's been uh, even more of a whirlwind.
0: Yeah, we talked about that speech because I actually asked if she had prepared that. And she said she had prepared nothing. And then uh, her director <laughs> was like, you need to prepare. And so she did actually have a little bit of... Prep, But I I kind of would have loved to see what the I had nothing speech would have been as well. (laughs) Um, But she, yeah, she's so charming. And and she talked a lot about sort of trying to stay grounded with this level of fame, which I thought was a really interesting perspective for someone so young and so new to this, um, Mm -hmm. that she's still trying to like keep her feet on the ground. And she's doing a little vacation for the next month. But um, she's also, you know, creating a career that will probably involve uh, projects in Hollywood and um, English and American projects. So she's a lot uh, coming her way very soon. Uh,
1: yeah. And not that we don't wonder what everyone will wear to the Emmys, but she seems like someone who the fashion world is especially excited about. Um, so what she wears to the Emmys, I'm very invested in. <laughs> Okay, let's hear more from your conversation with ho but first, a word from our sponsor. <music>
4: Hey, everybody, I'm entertainment journalist Drew Taylor. And I'm filmmaker Charles Hood, and we host Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. But right now, we're about to launch our first ever universe expanding miniseries. That's right, get ready for Light the Fuse presents The Directors. We'll speak to filmmakers who have made iconic Paramount movies and get them to open up in a way that only we can. That's right, listen to Light the Fuse presents The Directors wherever you get your podcasts.
0: I'm so excited to welcome one of the stars of Squid Game, Ho-Yun, to the podcast. Thank you for joining me.
3: Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: So I'd love if you could start by telling me how you found out about your Emmy nomination. You know, Squid Game got 14 Emmy nominations and you got an individual one for your acting performance. So how did you hear about it?
3: Actually, at that time, I was on plane airplane so i was like trying to unload something and i'm trying to send a congrats message to all the cast and staff who got nominated but the wi-fi didn't work so it was like terrible like inside of me were like screaming that oh, i want to express this like amazing feeling and want to congrats to director Huang and the whole cast who like nominated because we have this like a group chat and then I can get received uh, the message the other people sent, but I can't send answers, replies. That was frustrating, but it was such a an grateful. And then just the fact that Squid Game is the first non-English project who got nominated 14 categories. And then being a part of this journey is incredible. And it shows a lot, I think. It's not about one country that makes these things possible. Nowadays, I think... Any other country, if we are doing good at our job, <laughs> we can kind of relate it to each other's. It showed that, I think.
0: Yeah, it was really exciting to see. Yes, yes, yes. You know, we've seen that happen with the Oscars and with film in the last few years, with things like Parasite. But I think in television, this was sort of the last barrier to break. So it's it's amazing to see Squid Game do that. Um yeah. And you've already won awards. I was at the SAG Awards when you won and you had that really beautiful emotional speech. And, and I'm, I'm curious, when you think back on that win and giving that speech, was it something you had prepared? How did you decide what you were going to say to that audience? So I haven't prepared
3: until the day of the SAG it's just because of I didn't think that I'm going to win that award. I was just grateful to be nominated. It was like unbelievable and an unexpected moment that like even though it's just nomination was that kind of moment for me. And I really admire Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon and the other actors on that categories. So I was, I wouldn't ever, never think that I could win that award. So I haven't prepared at all. And then director Huang, I think, and executive producer Kim ji they asked me, have you prepared? So I'm like, no, why I have to? <laughs> because I'm not going to win. And they were like, But it's better to be prepared than not prepared, just in case, you know. It's better to have something, just in case. So I'm like, that makes me kind of nervous. So I'm like, okay, then let's just write down something. And then I wrote down that I don't know what to write. I'm just saying, I'm such a grateful and I love whole actors in this room i've been watching you guys as a fan of movie those kind of things but it wasn't organized and there was lots of sentences that i wrote down and then when i got that award i couldn't memorize anything what i wrote down except the sentence that i like speak at the stage so that's why I
0: I sat there. I was totally lost, I think. <laughs> well, it came off as very genuine, I think, the emotions you were feeling oh. on that stage. And so when did you first realize that Squid Game was becoming such a phenomenon? Was there a moment when things started to really shift after the show came out? So many
3: moments. <laughs> oh. For that, I think because of at the beginning, um, for the first week, we have reaction from Korean audience. and They were kind of getting interested in me. I have lots of interviews for Korean medias, so I was like, "Oh, this is going big." So getting afraid, but the next week, they said that it got number one show, like it got in top 10 series in U.S. Netflix. And then the next day, it got in like France France or, you know, every country in a month. So it's like you can't just follow up that speed with your kind of digestion level. (laughs) So at the beginning, it was afraid, but... At some point, I'm like, I couldn't follow what's going on. And then, like, these awards happened. I got nominated, Skid Game got nominated. And then all around people are recognize me on the street. Oh, it's like, there is not one moment that I really think that this is a big thing because of its coming over like top of the things and then the top of the things over and over and over many Until layers now. yeah yes
0: yes and people may not realize this is your first acting performance yeah. on a on a major project and and the sort of level of how impressive you were in this role plus all the sort of accolades you're getting i'm curious what you think why was this the role you were meant to take on why was this Sort of your destiny to play this character. If it's destiny, I don't know. We <laughs> could
3: never know why. <laughs> but um, what Director Huang told was, I was quite unique. There are many similar parts with my character's Happyok. He sees that, but also he thinks that I'm quite unique. And that's what he liked about. But when I, you know, when I decided to start acting, there was, like, things that I wanted to be like someone else. And then some people told me that, oh, you gotta be acting like this, like an amazing actress. Or they kind of do a lot of compare. Yeah. They compare a lot. But... I think director Huang is so special because he didn't let me fit in that kind of stereotype. I think he let me be myself with my character. And that's how I think at the end, I kind of realized that, oh, he actually collaborate with me. Even though, like at the like at the moment while we are shooting, I couldn't, you know, fully understand what am I doing because of my anxiety or like everything. But at the end, I kind of realized how Director Huang was amazing to give me a space to be myself, and that's not what I did. I think that's what Director Huang did. It's a very humble answer. <laughs> <laughs> I really think that way. Like people told me that I'm so humble, but it's just that was what it is. Like and for actor, once I have more experience, I could help other people on set, but at my stage of my career, I think I need a lot of help of directors and the other actors and that's the beauty of it, being on, you know, newbie. <laughs>
0: and so, speaking of being a newbie, I know you've, you know, signed with CIA, which is obviously the biggest agency in Hollywood. And and I'm I'm curious what you've discussed about what else you want to do. Is there sort of a, a specific direction or type of work you're you've told them that you're looking for?
3: I think I shared some of like uh, movies that I like and like what? Um <laughs> Eternal sunshine mm-hmm. and Incendius. it's mm-hmm. a Denis Villa of movie. Yeah. And Alfonso's Roma and It to Mama. I'm like speaking Now, about things that I can remember, but it's there are so many, yeah. Mm, I think the importance of at my stage, I think to be open and have lots of experience. So, there are things that I like, even though at the end we're gonna go with my (laughs) preference, but I just wanted to you know, have many opinions or, like, different opinions and wanted to work with different styles of director, wants to work with different style of genre of movies or drama, it's just because I I got so many things that normally the actors who's at my stage couldn't (laughs) got, I guess. And then I also thought myself as a different stage of actors because of the things that I achieved. But it's actually, if you see the reality, I'm just an actor who just finished one project. Then I have so many ways to go. Like I have so many, so long paths to go. I want to be like that. So I shouldn't limited myself at this stage and then just, I don't know, I just have to go for it. And then if there are things that normally if I watch like documentaries or like there are things that I wanted to share to think about with people around the world, I kind of suggest that rather than suggesting John or directors or actors that I want to play it's more about story, what story that I want to share with people. And that's kind of our goal right now to find the project. But sometime we can do, you know, just like very personal stories or we can do very big, big, big social problem-based story. Yeah. So we are open,
0: but... We're not open. <laughs> <laughs> I <don't know>. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm curious for you, you know, aside from the career opportunities, how life has changed personally for you. I mean, is it hard to walk down the street? Are there are there other parts of your day to day personal life that have changed because of this level of attention?
3: Yeah. Basically, I wear hat all the time <laughs> but it's actually good because of, I don't wear any sunscreen normally <laughs> so it actually prevents sunburn so I find the joy to wearing a hat <laughs> but yeah it's like the life has been changed a lot from before skate game and then after skate game and the other things I think I can work around like I can handle it. But at some point, I can feel myself are changing too. But sometime, at some point of me and of my life, I don't want to change. And I'm kind of trying to hold it on the ground.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Because as I said before, um, having lots of Recognition is amazing and then it's as an actor, like have this kind of project that you put effort a lot, but also many people love. It's the dream job for every actor. So I'm trying my best just not to be flying around (laughs) fluid and have my opinion and then have the responsibility on things so that makes me to be on the ground at the same time at the same time can communicate with people like my friends my family it's very confusing emotion I think having this recognition it's like just it's so easy to flip yeah yeah it's a good things, but also at the same time, if you cannot control or, like, handle this well, it could be very toxic to your life, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. you're speaking to the way that fame can make your reality seem mm. totally unrealistic, basically. And Yeah,
3: but it's harmful, it's hard when it's from inside, rather, like not from like outside like the other people's opinion or the other people's uh change I can deal with it but it's more it's harder when it came from your inside I think
0: Mm -hmm. Mm. and I know director Huang did a interview where he may have been joking but he said maybe there was a way to bring you back for season 2 but is there any any possibility as a twin or something but is there is there any possibility of you coming back or is squid game really done for you he's <laughs> <His> on writing <laughs> at this point we couldn't
3: say anything yeah. we there is nothing we can share about it and but the Twins was joking, <laughs> <laughs> was totally joking while we are doing interview. But uh, I think some of the media pick up as a, a weird thing that I'm going to be back as a Twins. <laughs> so, but that's not true. I can tell that that's not true. But... <laughs> The other things any things about good game season 2 even I don't know like and director Hong even not a hundred percent no I think
0: yeah I I think everyone just wants to believe that there's a way for you <laughs> to come back even if it's not I real. mean at
3: the yeah at the beginning I was like oh it's actually my ending I thought that it was quite perfect and then I didn't felt that that much like a sadness about the fact that I, that my character died yeah. in Squid Game. But like now many people are talking to me and like, oh, like, what about your character? Is she going to come back? Is she going to come back? Makes me like, oh, I want to come back. <laughs> <laughs> but...
0: <laughs> Let's wait. We'll see what he can do. He he Mm -hmm, can do anything, mm -hmm. I believe, at this point. Yeah.
3: I could be, like, you know, like, ghost. (laughs) Ghost. (laughs) Where they sleep. I'm going to be the ghost, like, looking around. (laughs) What's up,
0: guys? So, um, we're almost out of time, but the Emmys are just a couple months away. And I'm curious, is uh, there any other... Actor or show you're you're rooting for anyone you're excited to see there when you attend the event? Oh, I'm such a fan of Stranger Things. <laughs>
3: you know, like whole whole the like a cast from Stranger Things. I want to meet um and also a Better
0: Call Saul. Better Call Saul, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Show.
3: Yeah, the team
0: was great. The team I want to meet. Yeah. Yeah, and it'll be great to be reunited, I'm sure, with your Squid Game cast. Yeah,
3: actually, in Korea, in I think in a week, the movie that J.J. Lee directed is coming. Mm. So we're going to reunite at the premiere of the movie.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah, really I think we're gonna drink Whole night long <laughs> <laughs> Well you guys Definitely <laughs> deserve to celebrate After all mm-hmm. the success So mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining me It's so nice to talk to you
3: Thank you It was so lovely to chat with you mm-hmm.
1: Well, earlier I described Squid Game as the undeniable breakout of the past year. But if there's any competition for it, it's probably Yellow Jackets. Um, and we happen to have a star of Yellow Jackets. Also on this episode, David, you talked to Christina Ricci. How was that?
4: Uh, it was lovely. Christina Ricci is on her second Emmy nomination. She was previously nominated as a guest star on Grey's Anatomy uh, over a decade ago. And uh, it's a it's a kind of a, it's a big moment for her. It's a big project. Uh, it's redefine the next phase of her career. And and she seems quite aware of that. And um, yeah, it was, it was interesting to get her perspective on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, the cast of Yellowjackets, uh, that's been kind of the thrill of the show is that it's actors who we've been seeing for a long time. We've had Mel- Melanie Linsky on the show before, kind of talking about the long career that led to this point. And, you know, I think we're all certainly in the age range where uh, there's a seminal Christina Ricci performance in our minds. Um, but I didn't even recognize her at first on Yellowjackets, both because she's got this wig and she's just... Really going for it as this really wild character. It's such a fun
4: transformative performance to watch. Yeah, we talked about that a lot, and particularly the experience of playing a transformative role, offset, and how she would be treated differently, and and got a had a different kind of experience as an actor on set, just given the nature she was playing, uh, the nature of the character she was playing. Um, we talked a little bit about Monster actually because she had thought of. Watching Charlize Theron on that set in a very transformative uh-huh. role when she was a younger actor, um, and and kind of being in awe of her, and I think she liked having the experience of not being treated <laughs> like herself, even though um, some some baggage came with that in terms of the way people like her character Misty, are treated and um, how she experienced some of that even. When the cameras weren't rolling,
1: and now you have my head spinning for what season two might bring out because whatever Misty has in store for us, it's going to be weird, and probably drive the plot forward in some way. So,
4: rest assured, as of the recording, she knew absolutely nothing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No spoilers ahead, at least for for now. Uh, Well, let's hear uh, your conversation with Christina Ricci.
4: Christina Ricci, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, here on Little Gold Man, and congrats on your well-deserved nomination for Yellow Jackets.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here.
4: This is your first nomination for uh, a regular role. Uh, You previously nominated uh, for a guest role. So I just wanted to start by asking a little bit about how this kind of recognition has resonated for you uh, at this point in your career and and for this role.
2: It's really great, and um, it's especially wonderful to be recognized, I think, for this role because she is a bit of, um, you know, it was a little bit of a risk. Uh, there were times when I was like, this could really work or this could be terrible. My performance, <laughs> meaning, <laughs> meaning my performance and meaning choices. Me. <laughs> <laughs> meaning me. Um, so it's really great that it worked out. <laughs> and it's it's nice to, especially when you do sort of go out on a limb or do something a little risky, it's nice for for That sort of effort to be validated, I think, because it encourages you to to do more of that.
4: Yeah. Um, And you're going into season two, end of the summer, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I imagine that's pretty good encouragement to keep going out on a limb, as you were saying.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. What's so interesting about television, I think, is that you shoot the show. And especially, I think, the first season, it's all about finding finding the characters, finding the show, the tone, all of that stuff, the whole time you feel like you're on fire, pretty much, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And you're just going and doing. And and so then... Then you get this period of time, like the press you do for TV is so much longer than what you do uh, for film. So you have this insane period of time where you just ruminate, talk about (laughs) it with people, hear about what other people think, hear your um, coworkers, like your writers, actually talk in detail about intentions and and all these things that you didn't know about while you were filming, and you so had your head in the sand just doing your, doing your best work, that you all of a sudden get this period of time where you really get to think even more deeply about the show and about your character. And I now, going into season two, have, you know, I want to make improvements. You know, I now feel like I have a deeper understanding of so many different things and the ability to evolve in a great way. So that's something that's been really interesting about this experience.
4: That Yeah, I mean, it premiered last year, and because <laughs> you have, and you just have the, the show press, and then you have awards press, and yeah, it's, it's a long, long tale. There's an interesting um, parallel between that and the fact that this is a show with a lot of mystery to it, and you guys don't know a lot, right, as of what's coming down the pike.
2: Yeah, no, we don't. we really don't and on the first the first season we didn't either and I found it frustrating at times and so that was one thing I learned from season one was to just I just want to be able to understand my character and do my job without having to know so much so that's I think that's a specific muscle that you develop doing television
4: um going back to what you were saying about the lack of conversations you can have as you're starting a TV show. Um, I know you've talked about say uh, the date scene uh, with Fermisty in the second episode of the first season and and kind of figuring out how to play it where it makes sense that she is is on a date with this man, which is interesting to me because there's there is I can see why you're reading it and it's vague and you're like, what what why is this happening? but also there's a kind of freedom there in creating a character for yourself and and her motivations and the way that she would operate in a moment like that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I had to really look at that situation because I didn't ever see her as somebody who would have any real interest in romance. So I had to, again, you know, you kind of say, okay, if my character was in this situation, how would she have gotten here and why would she be here? And that's all stuff that you that you can play without ever having to tell anyone or argue about intention, really, Hmm. I think.
4: I don't know if you've gotten any scripts for the new season, but even at the end of season one, say, did you find that they were, the writers were writing a little bit more to some of the choices you were making that were perhaps a bit surprising to them?
2: Yeah, I mean, I do feel like some things uh, that we did, Juliet and I, early on in the early episodes... I think that might have influenced the tone of some of the writing for our characters later. Um we had a very sort of sisterly dynamic and mm-hmm. um we would sort of ad-lib some scenes and that would ver- that dynamic really came across and so I think they played into that a little bit more and there was there was one scene where we weren't supposed to really physically interact. My character was just supposed to like rub her back and comfort her, but she she like Hit me, she turned around and hit me. So, I, as a yeah. character, just pushed her right back. And we ended up with like this weird, like juvenile pushing thing. And yeah. the writers were like, that was so amazing. It was so great because I think it immediately kind of showed what the dynamic was between us that you could really lean into and play with. And then later they wrote scenes where we did physically like hit each other and stuff. So, <laughs> yes, yes,
4: it becomes so, yeah. much more, much clearer. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. In terms of going on a, out on a limb with, with some of the choices you made, as you said earlier, do you find that that's something that comes with experience having been in this industry for a long time, feeling the confidence to be able to try new things and, and go a little bit outside of your comfort zone? Or was this a project where you really were doing that in a way you, you hadn't done before?
2: No, I think I always have. I think I'm someone who just can't I can't help it I have like a kind of natural contrarianism and so I always seem to have to give you the alternate version yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think in some ways like it's like a compulsion I have um so I think I kind of always have you know sometimes it goes well and sometimes it's not as well received and I think this is just an example of one like really all worked out for the best yeah.
4: <laughs> um she, she's quite. A, uh, hilariously passive aggressive that misty is um
2: it's it's a very mature sort of rage and um her anger is the product of having been like squeezed for thirty five years yeah. have having had all of her worst fears about her what her life would be really like solidified and validated and she's had to instead of being completely um Killed by that, this character has survived and flourished and created for herself a little autonomous world where no matter what's going on, she has a great time. She is going to enjoy her life. And you do see that that is a lot of her keeping down her rage about not getting what she wants. So then the rage comes out, as you say, in passive aggression. But I also have always been obsessed with, with. Not obsessed, but I've always really wanted to play passive aggression, and I've I've usually been deterred from it. Um, in mm. the past, it hasn't really been so recognized as sort of like, oh yeah, really valid. This is how a lot of people express anger, and I have to say, I think a lot of it comes from physiology. You know, um, you, yeah. you know, Freud said physiology is fate. Well, anytime I'm playing anyone, I'm playing a five foot two woman. Yeah. And we cannot be really openly hostile all the time in public, Mm -hmm. like never, because we're tiny and we'll get killed. So, you know, ultimately, like that is the animalistic sort of fear that comes from that physiology that then creates a person who operates in a really passive aggressive way and like I am incredibly passive aggressive in public because it is the cowardly way to express your rage. <laughs> <laughs> so it. I've always I've always kind of wanted to incorporate that into a character or, or deal I or deal with anger in that way when I'm confronted with it as any character or a lot of them I would say. But then for this character it's so wonderful because they really leaned into it and they really embraced it and gave me the freedom to, to make it, uh, to, to make her expression of anger what I wanted it to be.
4: Hmm. I'm curious, too, how that manifests with, um, with her appearance. I, I know you've talked about being essentially treated as Misty when cameras were not rolling, when you were in costume and, and hair and makeup as her, um, which certainly says a lot about how women who look like Misty are yeah. treated in the world.
2: the the amount of rage you would have I was full of rage by the way I was being (laughs) I was like I'm being teased and dismissed and (laughs) ignored you know it's really interesting and just to see like that people are really they can't they can't help but react to visuals and not go go a lot deeper a lot of times so to think about what she the 30 years of squeezing like that's what I'm talking about
4: yeah yeah, you you felt it embodied <laughs> in mm-hmm. the way that yeah, you were and treated. it
2: was interesting. Samantha Henratty, who plays young Misty, she said she experienced the same thing. Oh, wow. Which is really fascinating.
4: That's really interesting. Yeah. Um. Wow. Well, I feel like, um, and I could obviously be wrong here, but um, and you would know better than me, but with child and teen actors and performances, the characters and the personas can kind of be put into as one. And I'm curious if this was different for you in... The persona you're playing, the character you're playing, being treated so differently from Christina.
2: Yeah, it was different. I mean, because I sort of describe, well, I kind of always used to joke and describe myself as like a murderous golden retriever. You know, (laughs) like you always go and pet the golden retriever, but the golden retriever might not like you and want to be pet. Yeah. Um, So... I always have had a little bit of that because I am like a small woman and child-like looking. And so people do touch me a lot and all this stuff. And so I I, um, I do get treated a little bit like that, which was something I brought to Misty, that feeling. But it was the first time that that I really had that experience on set where it was like I completely disappeared once I yeah. put that costume on.
4: Which there's obviously the frustrating element of the way people treat people like Misty. But I imagine there's some... Excitement in that maybe, and in being able to have a transformation. Yeah,
2: no, it's just, and also, you know, when you say things in interviews, they get overblown. So it wasn't like I was being abused, or (laughs) people were openly hostile to me, or you put on the glasses and they're like out. It was just like, yeah, yeah, it was just like a like a slight tone difference, and things that I'd never really experienced on any other environment, and it was because of the way I was dressed.
4: Um. You're often associated with uh, Wednesday Addams, one of your first roles. Uh, And I know you can't say much about uh, the new Netflix show yet, in which you have a a different role, which we don't know about. Um, But how has it felt just to jump back into that world, into a a kind of iconic sphere in which you um, are so often associated, but now you are at such a different phase of of your career and life?
2: It was really nice. I was really... flattered to be asked to join that show, um, because it's Tim Burton. And I was also sort of, I don't know, it was nice. It felt nice on like a sentimental, emotional level to be asked to be a part of the new Wednesday. I felt was really, I don't know, it just... I was sort of touched by it in some weird way. Um, So,
4: and Um, I just want to
2: go back. I realized the second part of that question I didn't finish. You were saying that while there might have been, it might have been slightly annoying to disappear in that way. There must have been another kind of fun to it. Yes, sorry. Yes. The the truth is that I really do. That is what I. I do love disappearing. Not being. I don't like having. I, I like having to so be someone else that there's no vanity there because it's not me. You know, there's there's less ego, all of that stuff. And uh, so, yeah, for me, that's a dream to just not have to worry about it being anything close to me.
4: Yeah. You were, um, of course, a part of a movie where, I think you would safely say, one of the more iconic transformations in that respect happened in Monster, with Charlize Theron. Do you remember... Seeing that with her, maybe, and and feeling like, I want that.
2: I remember seeing her do it, being so impressed at what she was doing, and her just passion and egoless kind of diving into that character and that transformation, I was completely enamored with her and her ability to do that and her desire to. And uh, while at that age, it didn't make me necessarily want to do it that often... (laughs) As I got older, (laughs) I did, because I was still so young, you know, I still wanted to be the pretty one, you know, I still wanted to, um, I would have loved to have been as beautiful as Charlize, and then I was like, well, if I was as beautiful as Charlize, I'd be fine with being ugly on camera, like, I remember making that joke. But to tell you the truth, as I got older, and I really saw how amazing that was, uh, and how amazing it would be for me, and that, that, and I started doing it more and more, I guess. Hmm. Not the full, I mean, obviously, I've never transformed to this extent she did. Sure. I mean, what she did and what she went through is just totally amazing, yeah. having been there.
4: I can only imagine. It's pretty astonishing to watch, so to be there, it's probably a whole nother level. Um, you've mentioned wanting to direct, um, and you've had a front row seat to so many great directors. I would think you have formed some kind of idea of the kind of director you'd want to be. I'm curious if it's something you've been thinking about for a long time um, or if it's something that's just started to percolate for you.
2: No, it's been something I've been thinking about for a long time and I am attached to direct something. So. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But I don't want to talk about that stuff too much just because it makes me nervous.
4: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. I feel it's the
2: kind of thing I should do and then talk about, you know what I mean? Fair enough. Yeah,
4: um, we did have. I did speak to Maggie Gyllenhaal last year about her first movie, and and one thing she said that was really interesting was she felt like she couldn't allow herself to place herself in the role of director, just based on the cultural forces around her coming up in the industry. Um, but I did think of the fact that, uh, especially later in your career, you, you you worked with a lot of really interesting, great female directors, including just recently Karen Kusama on the Yellow mm-hmm. Jackets pilot. Did you find there was a difference for you coming up, working with men versus women, uh, leading a set?
2: Yeah, and it has changed over time. But I will say that years ago, I think it was so difficult for women to rise to that position that sometimes by the time they had gotten there, they were not allowed to be as at ease in the role. And thus, sometimes were more difficult to work with than the men. Just because mm. in order to get there they had to be so hard and so um so strong and always make sure they got their way and there were some times mm. when those wouldn't you know, sometimes it would actually be more challenging at times to work with women. But I will say that as the industry evolved and changed and it became less difficult for women to get to those positions, now working with women is amazing. Because there is sort of an understanding of a past and a background that's really different. It's different to have a man say, you know, it's, it's this kind of man that you've been dealing with your whole life. You, you know the kind of man? And I'm like, I right. know that kind of man. <laughs> do you know
4: kind <laughs> of I might have a different of idea of that yeah. kind of man than you do. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so it's like little things like that. And then, I don't know, some things being more comfortable to do with a woman's directing, etc.
4: Yeah. I mean, in Monster, you, of course, had Patty Jenkins at the helm.
2: Patty is like the ultimate. She is one of my favorite human beings, one of my favorite directors I've ever worked with. She was so wonderful. She created such an incredibly respectful, collaborative environment. And she never made anybody feel like like they were less valuable than the project itself, which I think is a huge thing. Cause as actors, that's really the message we're given. You know, when I was a child, mm-hmm. I was given that message over and over again, that the, the ultimate thing is the production and no individual is important within it. She really had that more progressive feeling on set, which you experience more now. And it was a long time ago. So for her to already be there was amazing
4: yeah, I know you've you've said on Yellow jackets. It feels like there's less ego on that set than the typical set you've been on,
2: yeah, absolutely. And it's really amazing. And working with all these other actresses is incredible. And there is it there's I don't know. we we all kind of just get down to business and do our jobs, and there's not there's there's a lot less uh, ego, I think, and drama
4: coming mostly from film. Uh, and now you're in a show where you're doing this, hopefully, for many years to come, some years to come. Do you fear at all a monotony of playing the same role for years? Or, or is it a richer experience where you kind of get to find all these new nuances over time?
2: I don't know. You know, that's the first time I've even considered the, po- the that, that it might be right. really awful to play the same role for years. So you've introduced a new, a a new fear. You've <laughs> a new fear to me.
4: <laughs> not my intention. No,
2: I'm just kidding. I mean, I mean, I I'm not kidding in that. I hadn't it hadn't even occurred to me. I just I feel like I, especially this character. I really love her. I love playing her. I mean, I don't love her, but I love playing her. And I can't imagine it'll get boring. Cause, and also even when I mean, she's such a proactive, active character that I would I I I never imagined getting bored but we'll see. Yeah.
4: yeah. Um, you also get to be really funny on Yellow Jackets, which I appreciate. How do you find playing the comedy part of it, and do you like doing comedy generally?
2: I always say to everybody that I I don't like doing comedy, and the big thing on the show would always be, like, with the other actresses, I was like, yeah, but I have to do all this comedy. Um, <laughs> but uh, then, 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 you know, I don't know. I think that sometimes... Because I'm not a comedian and uh, because I come more from a dramatic actress sort of point of view, I tend to sometimes over-empathize with the characters uh, that I play and then find myself making choices or having reactions from their point of view instead of my own, like as though their ego and mine have melded. And so with Misty, because she is never really in on the joke, she's always being laughed at. Yes. I would at times feel really uncomfortable and, like, mm. it just, you know, I didn't enjoy that aspect sometimes. But then when I watch the show, I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, it's really funny. <laughs> yeah. But it's just one of those weird, like, emo actor things that I, as an actor, have to be really aware of.
4: It's interesting because, you know, you think of the scene of, like, shoving Juliette Lewis, which I have learned is <laughs> improvised to some extent. Uh, and And it plays... Both pretty funny, hard to deny. But also there's such a real reaction there that says a lot about who she is. And I, I do think there's a combination there of the comedy both being entertaining and maybe saying a little bit more about Misty than you well, can yeah, say about it. Well, yeah, I mean, it.
2: because I'm not a comedian, <clears throat> that is how I deal with the comedy. Just try to really ground everything in in reality. I would mean, justify every single thing and just, I don't know, try to make it as real as possible um, because then then the real things you do do end up being funny somehow. But I don't know. It's so weird for me to talk about comedy because I'm not a comedian. I just don't even know how to play for a joke or any of that stuff. I don't know.
4: You are very <laughs> funny on this show, so I'll Thanks. leave it at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I lastly wanted to ask you, zooming out beyond the show a little bit, we started by talking about press and the long wind of talking about the show i'm curious about your feelings about interacting with fandom because this show has such a passionate fan base and it generated this incredible word of mouth i know you've talked about like really finding comic-con meaningful at one point in your career i'm say in this case what what has that side of it been like for you engaging with people who have both feverishly loved the show and that maybe gain a lot of meaning from it as well
2: It's been great. Um, I really feel like people are responding to the show on a very kind of deep level. So to see that happening is really wonderful. When I spoke about how Comic-Cons had felt meaningful to me, it was because I've got to witness and to to re-familiarize myself with how much uh, film and TV can change a person's life. How much it can mean to a person and and then remembering how much it meant to me the amount of escape i i got from my favorite shows and the people that i was a huge fan of and who meant so much to me so so that is really meaningful and it does it did for me in the past really make me feel that what i did had more value I had maybe lost touch Mm. with the value of what we do a little bit. And so to see that many people whose lives have been touched or moved or helped was really meaningful for me.
1: That does it for today's interview episode. We'll be back later this week with our roundtable conversation and the continuation of our book club series. In the meantime, you can find us at VanityFair.com. You can find us on Twitter at LittleGoldMen and on our own. I am at Katie Rich and David. David
4: Canfield, 97.
1: And Rebecca. Becca M. Ford. You can also text us at joinsubtext.com slash LittleGoldMen or text 213-513-7118. Our editor and producer is Brett Bukes.